From Gimlet Media, this is The Nod. And you are here with Blackness's biggest fans. I am Brittany Luce. And I'm Eric Eddings. So, I'm about to make a really big life decision. Okay. And it's about my kid. Hey. Hey. Say hi, Dad. Hi, Dad. So that's Eve, my daughter, and my wife, Carla. Who These are people who I imagine you're familiar with. I've met. We've met. We're, <laughs> we're familiar. So anyway, that was me coming home the other night on the, uh, the eve, if you will, of a big decision. Okay. Uh, after we put Eve to bed, you know, we sat down on the couch, and Carla had her glass of red wine. We got cozy. Get close to me. We're married. We can do that. <laughs> okay. So, I mean, we, we need to put Eve in school. We do. It seems like we're like... Okay, so Eve's two. And, like, this is going to be her first, like, real school experience. And we're trying to decide on a preschool. But the thing is, Carla wants to send her to an Afrocentric school. I see. And, okay, look, I know what Afrocentric school is supposed to be like, you know, centering the Black experience and talking about Black history in a much more substantive way. And don't get me wrong, I have a lot of problems with the way that most schools like center white and European experiences. Okay. But that said, is an Afrocentric school definitely better? Like in my head, the details of what happens there are just fuzzy. Like, is it a lot of story times about ancient Egypt mixed in with some kente cloth? It just seems like a bunch of people trying to teach my daughter what it means to be black. And like, I have a lot of feelings about that. Mm. My biggest one being, I don't really trust other people to do that. I'm not going to lie. Um, it's hard to be like, I don't want my child to have a strong, you know, foundation of blackness. Like, you know, I want her to grow up steeped in white supremacy and, you know, all this <laughs> stuff. But like the idea, you know, everybody's idea of inner like integrating blackness into an educational conversation isn't the same. You know what I'm saying? Like there, mm-hmm. there are people who are quote unquote very uh, pro-black who still look at certain depictions of blackness as problematic. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of really toxic ideas surrounding respectability politics. Mm. You know, the the pull your pants up. Yeah. And I feel like the blackness in our home mm-hmm. is very like all inclusive blackness. It's pretty know? broad. It's, it's pretty very broad. broad. <laughs> and I just want you know I want I want I want her to grow up not not demonizing aspects of of her blackness. Mm-hmm. And like, do you not share that same fear? Like. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's hard to, even now, even though she's still so young, it's hard to kind of delineate where my desire for what I didn't have stops and where my desire for what she could have starts. And this is something that I, I mean, I obviously feel very strongly about because I didn't have it. Um, so, yeah, I went to very white schools 
K through 12. I don't feel like I graduated with a very strong sense of like who I was as a Black woman, as a Black person in general. There was no Black girl magic. You know, I had a lot of the, I don't want to downplay it, but a lot of the typical like self-hate of like, oh, I'm too dark. You know, I had a lot of issues with my hair and like it really fucked with my head for a very, very long time. And it it just didn't feel uplifting or supportive supportive in the way that I I really really needed. I kind of had to get th- kind of had to get there on my own. I do get what she's saying. And like that's part of the reason I went to an HBCU. Like doing that really really helped me to understand my own blackness and just like our history. Yeah, I mean I mean same. And that was just so so important for me. Mm-hmm. But still like I had a lot of logistical questions about how exactly all of this works. I'm curious as to why that starts at, like, two. Like, maybe this is my own ignorance about, like, early childhood development or whatever, but I know I want her to be able to count. Like, I know I want her to be able to, you know, maybe, like, like read her ABCs. I also just don't know what she's supposed to be able to do. So, like, with the culture stuff, like, I think that would sound even better if she was in, like, second grade. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I said all of that. And it's hopefully implying that yes, ABCs, one, two, threes, like <laughs> that are also is on the definitely, table. Definitely, yeah, important. So after this conversation with Carla, like my head was swimming with questions. Like Eva's a little kid; she needs you know repetition and simplicity, mm-hmm. and lessons around Black history and culture can just get really, really complicated. You can't really put Jim Crow history on flashcards. Like, you need, you need nuance, you know? <laughs> you can't really distill that. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. It's yeah. hard. And do I really want to put the responsibility of teaching, like, our daughter about race in somebody else's hands? Mm. So I decided to do the thing that I usually do with big decisions. Well, you made a spreadsheet? Yes, actually, I did make a spreadsheet. But <laughs> after my conversation with Carla, I also just, like, went into research mode. I, you know, did some reporting. I called up experts and, you know, people who went to Afrocentric schools to just answer some of my questions. So I began my quest for answers by calling Iman. Like our best friend, Iman. Yeah. Like she went to Afrocentric school when she was little. (laughs) I'm very curious, very curious to hear what she had to say. Hello? How you doing, Iman? I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. I wanted to ask her, like, What was it like learning about, you know, Blackness at the same time as you learn about your ABCs? I remember, like, counting to 100 in Swahili. Um, Can you still count to 100 in Swahili? No. Do you know how high can you count? Can you count to five? No, I don't remember any of it. And I felt like I remember reading when I went to public school and Afrocentric school. I don't remember what I learned. I feel like kids at that age, you know, should be focusing on reading and writing and arithmetic. And, like, you have not, like, lived enough to be burdened and saddled with, you know, these ideas and these notions about your your racial identity. Mm -hmm. Reading comes first and knowing your numbers. And you you don't need to know the Swahili version of your numbers. Like, that's not going to help you. So... 
this kind of gave me some pause. Like, learning Swahili is awesome. You know, growing up, Jumbo Means Hello was one of my favorite books. It's a great book. It's a good book. It's a great book. And, like, I know that's not the only thing they're going to be doing. But, like, I'm a little nervous that, like, the that the focus might be more on learning the cultural things, you know, than learning, like, the core academic things she's supposed to learn at that mm, age. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I feel that. But I didn't want to just rely on Amon's experience, so I needed to expand my sample size. And, like, I heard Carla talking about her friend Marion, that she went to an Afrocentric school. Mm-hmm. So I reached out to her, and she had a much more positive connection to it. We did The Wiz as our school play. Wow. Yeah, and I was the standby huh. to play Dorothy. <laughs> And then still counts. No, no, no. Because then, with a little mojo and some, you know, rain dances, little other Dorothy got sick. Wow. Night before. Look yep. at God. Look at God. Just <laughs> blessing him with the flu, Lord. Yes. So <laughs> I was like, I am Dorothy. Do you even? I'm going to ease on down this road, and you're going to follow me. Real talk, that I, I would probably be sitting up there bawling like a little baby, seeing all these little black kids it's, singing the Wiz. Yes. Like, you know, it can feel forced if you see a, a little black kid playing a, a part that is for white people. It's like them feeling the need to have that performance and giving the children something to work for and making it be a black production. Yeah. Like, I don't know that I would have gotten that at another school. The Wiz is one of my favorite movies, and I always wished that my school could have done it because I was obviously deep in the theater, which explains a lot. But um, (laughs) that was actually they never there were enough black people. It's crazy when you're a kid, you're so starved for some sort of image like that. So like to be able to do a production of The Wiz. That is exciting, and that is adorable. Yeah, I mean, it's cute, but, like, a lot of that didn't really become important to me until high school, you know? And we're talking about really, really young kids. Like, you know, for some people, like Marion, it really, really matters. But for others, like Amon, you know, it was too early for her to get it. Okay, so at this point, my research has all been, like, anecdotal. But now I'm feeling like I just need some facts. Mm Mm-hmm. So I actually put my questions to someone who I would consider an expert, (laughs) Dr. Keisha Bentley Edwards. She's a developmental psychologist and a professor at Duke University. I look at how we develop. I look at it not only from a racial and cultural perspective and see how race and racism affects your life, um, but also how it affects your life differently at different developmental stages. Are you the person that all your friends go to for this? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. I get a lot of calls and emails and text messages that start with, am I crazy or dot, dot, dot? Do, am, am I supposed to act a fool? <laughs> Dr. Bailey Edwards, the good doctor, if you will, <laughs> uh, she cut straight to the point. Like, kids start to understand color and race at very specific ages. Babies recognize that there are color differences. Mm. For African-American children at around three years old, that is when you know that it actually has a meaning. Even if you can't process and have a conversation about it, you start to know that there's something different about my skin and it means something. It means something to the broader world. Honestly, I just thought I had more time until we actually had to, like, 
deal with that. Like, all the stuff Carla said about self-image, whether Eve is proud of her skin tone, her hair, all that stuff starts really soon. Hmm. And Dr. Bentley Edwards told me it's, like, even more important than I thought. A high racial identity is related to higher academic achievement. So, And so that means that the higher your racial identity, so the more proud you feel of being a black person or how you see yourself as a black person, um, those folks tend to also do well in school. But it can't just be be proud to be black and put a kente cloth on. <laughs> there has to be strong academics and learning um, and social development as well. That makes that makes sense to me. Like, you know, if you're feeling self-conscious, you're going to be focusing on that. You're not really going to be focusing on school. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense to me, too. And, like, if you run with that logic, it seems like an Afrocentric school would definitely make kids less self-conscious. Mm-hmm. Like, that they would come out being really proud of their blackness. So, in theory, Afrocentric school is for the win, you know? Case closed. Case closed. I mean, wait, is the episode over? It is not. (laughs) The thing is, like, I know from experience that there's more than one way to be proud to be black. Like, growing up, I learned a lot of stuff that I thought was a part of what it meant to be black that I later realized was just kind of bullshit, you know? (laughs) I mean, like, I grew up thinking it was my job as the black man to lead my household and my people out of the darkness, you know? Oh, I know. So this actually came up. I was talking to someone else I know who went to Afrocentric school, our friend Jordan. I love Jordan. How did they teach you about your role, like, as a man, I guess, like, Mm -hmm. in relationship to, you know, to women? Chivalry was extremely important there. Mm -hmm. Um, So the man was the protector um, and made sure that we looked out for the women in the school I'm a gay male. I mean, there was times where, like, I was maybe corrected for my, like, feminine traits. Mm. Like, I didn't start dancing until I was in high school. But if I had wanted to dance, I'm not really sure if it would have been embraced because it was kind of just, like, all the women dance and then all the men drum. That's great. Okay, so Jordan's like, he's an amazing dancer. And I know he's been passionate about it for a long time. And that's crazy to think that at such a young age that if he had wanted to pursue something that he actually— turned out to have a really big talent for and really big love for, he wouldn't have been able to pursue it. Exactly. Like, this is what I didn't want out of an Afrocentric school. Like, if Eve wants to drum, she's going to drum. She will. So that was bad. But, like, I also realized from talking to Jordan that, like, one bad experience doesn't just negate, like, the entire idea of Afrocentric education. Like, Jordan, for the most part, really loved his school, especially compared to the charter school he went to later. One of the things that I didn't experience in Afro Central School was the issue of skin tone. Mm. I'm extremely fair skin. Mm-hmm. Like, people wonder if my dad is white. Mm-hmm. I never had any comment made to me. It was never really an issue. It was just like, you know, you they really embedded in you that Black people need to support one another and to not be distracted by, you know, creating issues with one another. That is really cool. Right? You know, like, I want I want Eve to grow up, you know, and, like, see another Black person mm-hmm. and be like, I want to help that person. You know, mm-hmm. I want to support that person. Yeah. Like, I'm just there for them. Like, that, that to me feels awesome. So are you sold on Afrocentric schools now? Well, of course not. 
<laughs> and like a part of it is because like in the time that I was doing all this, Carla had just wanted me to actually go straight to visiting an Afrocentric school. <laughs> She didn't quite have all this in mind. She didn't have all this in mind. But now I feel like I I know enough to, like, walk into an Afrocentric school and, like, honestly judge them fairly. You know, Carla loves you. So (laughs) unlike me, she's not going to roll her eyes. She's probably just going to smile and go with you someplace. But I just want to let you know that you did way too much. (laughs) I I like to think that I put in extra effort, you know? (laughs) But I don't think that's a, that's a, that's in school that wouldn't be a bad thing. It wouldn't be a bad thing. And this is your child. Exactly. So I'll let it pass. Thank you. But Jesus Christ. <laughs> After the break, I put away the spreadsheets and get schooled. Welcome back. So, I told Carla that I was finally ready to go visit an Afrocentric school. And after a little bit of searching, we actually found one close to us. So, one morning before work, we hopped on a bus and headed over there. I was making a lot of little random jokes. It seems like like we're about to walk into this mythical land, you know, of like, like I feel like the building is like a pyramid. a pyramid? It's not a pyramid. It's like a brick building. It's nice. When we first walked up, I actually felt a wave of, of somewhat of relief because they had a sign posted that said that they were closed for Malcolm X's birthday. And I was like, whoa. Okay, maybe they see history like I see history. You gotta recognize the important holidays. Alright, press the button. So we press a button and they like buzz us in. Um, And so like we walked in and to the left, there was this amazing picture of, uh, of the, of the Obamas, like, that looks like, like, like regal. There's a beautiful family portrait of the Obamas. (laughs) Right at the the door. (laughs) With all their names. Then we walk into the actual daycare and it's just this like massive room. And at that point, you hear just like this chorus of kids in the background. Say hi, guys. Hi. They have a two-year-old, too. They want the two-year-old. It's a very comforting sound to just hear, like, kids at play. Yay. And, like, Black History was everywhere. I see you got the uh, Black History Month sign. Is it is it Black History Month every month? All year. We celebrate Black History all year. We're, we have innovators who were born all throughout the year. Um, we want to learn about those people all throughout the year, too, because it's just important for our children to know about their culture and the people who created things that you don't even think about, like a shoe or a refrigerator or the traffic light. It's just something that we're always going to talk about with them. So we want to make sure that's infused in the lessons, too. There was a, a spot where a bunch of kids had colored pictures of Shirley Chisholm. And that, I mean, you know, that's really dope. Like, there were drawings of Martin Luther King and Malcolm X's glasses. Painted. And there's a little picture of Malcolm X attached to each one, and they say, happy birthday, Malcolm X. Friday is Malcolm X's birthday, so we definitely wanted to celebrate him, and we are always doing art, so we figured, why not his glasses, which are one of the most iconic things 
about Malcolm X. <laughs> I want some green frames. <laughs> so the there was a uh, a very nice woman ahead of emissions. She came up to us, and it felt like talking to your auntie. And that was really nice. So this is our babies, our twos. <laughs> and this group, they learn mostly through song and play. Um, because at two, year old, two years old, that's really what they can take in. And that's the best way to try to work with them and try to reach them. I'd heard people describe pieces of this. You know, oh, we learned Swahili. And actually being in the environment and seeing how those things happened in like a, like a real setting made me understand that like, oh, you can teach the history and the culture and the learning at the same time. Our children, you can see them learning about their culture and being able to repeat things about their culture in a natural fashion, which is natural. Do we want to be confident in their culture and their background so that they can do whatever they want to do in the future, no matter where you are or what you're going to do? And when we asked about all the activities she could do. Afternoon for them to do. We do, I always miss one, yoga, chess, Swahili, African dance class. We have an optional African drumming class. When you're older, you can do violin. Everything was available to everyone. You know, the boys were gardening, and Eve could drum and dance. So, like, I'm looking around this classroom, and, like, this is a classroom I couldn't have even dreamed of as a kid, you know? And I start to realize, like, maybe I can trust these people. Like, maybe this is the right thing for Eve. I mean, everybody tells you you can't do everything right. And you hear that, but you immediately disregard it. Because, like, I look at her and I see her as an opportunity to, like, to create a happy person. And you want to do everything possible to make sure that this person is happy and grows up and is just excited about their prospects for the world and their future. And it's tough because at that same time, you know all the ways it can go wrong. There's everything from like the smallest mistakes where she has a bad day to she might not be prepared for the difficulty that is inherent in being who she is. And you see all of those possibilities in in almost every decision. Them participating in teaching her how to be Black was scary. Uh, And now, it's now now comforting. uh, Because there is a level of trust there now. Like, I understand what they're trying to do. And now that I've decided that this is something I want for Eve, I I can let go of some of my own experiences. This is a thing I'll have to to get used to doing over and over again. I'm excited for her to walk in there and see all the stuff on the wall and, like, her figuring out what she wants to go and play with or manipulate first. You know, to see that moment of hesitation, because she always kind of has this moment of like, hmm, do I trust this? She's our, she's our dad's her dad's child. But then she's like, okay, that. I'm going for that. You know what's the thing I keep thinking about now that, that you guys have decided that you're, you're going to send 
Eve to an Afrocentric pre-K is like, what are you guys going to do to prepare yourselves? Because like, have you ever considered the fact that like one day Eve's going to come home and just be way more woke than you guys? Like she's going to come home, like start the revolution. Like maybe they'll like teach her how to wrap her head in school and she'll come home one day like, I no longer subscribe to the, the hairstyles of the white man. <laughs> She might get you guys on liberation-based veganism. We don't know. That is a very, a very high possibility. Mm. Carl is a little more open to that. I don't. I That's going to be the next campaign. Do you not want me to have any joy? Like The Nod is produced by me, Eric Eddings, with Brittany Luce, Kate Parkinson Morgan, and James T. Green. Our senior producer is Sarah Abdurrahman. We are edited by Jorge Just and Annie Rose Strasser with editing help from Van Newkirk II, Blythe Terrell, and Jonathan Goldstein. Special thanks to Sunny Bridges, Delena Brundage, and Asta Chathavedi. Engineering from Cedric Wilson and Matthew Bolt. Our theme music is by Khalid B. Additional music in the show by Bobby Lord and Talkstar. Brittany. Are you lactose intolerant? Yes, but now I feel like I I want to drum, so I'm going to drum. Focus. Focus. It's confusing. I see. I am feeling left out. I, I want to play. Mm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> mm, mm-hmm. I can't do that. Yeah. <laughs>